Uh, now I do get to introduce uh, our speaker this morning. He's a good friend of mine and a good friend of Journeys, Mike Gamble. He's been a pastor for a lot, a lot of years, more than he probably wants to admit. I actually met uh, Mike when he was in the process of helping lead Journey through some strategy formulation with a, a Christian. Christian church consulting organization called Oxano. Mike has recently made a transition and he's working in the financial world, helping people manage their wealth and be able to increase their kingdom generosity. So let's give a really big warm welcome to Journey's friend, Mike Gamble. Thank you, Bob. Love you, bud. Hey, before, before Bob jumps off the stage, I just want to say we're going into Thanksgiving and I, for one, am very grateful for his leadership for Journey. So let's give him a hand. Thank you, Bob. And on that note, as we go into Thanksgiving, I know that we all can think about some things you're grateful for. Uh, so go ahead and turn to the person next to you and just say, I am grateful for, and then you fill in the blank. So just take 30 seconds to share some things you're grateful for. I'm hearing turkey, uh, football. I hear we're grateful for cat's wins. Grateful for coffee. And uh, sweet potatoes. Somebody's grateful for sweet potatoes. I've always found them to be a strange flavor. But, but yes, yes, sweet potatoes. So as we go, in, as we go into today, we, we're going to launch into a bit of a heart inventory in preparation for Advent. And uh, I'm going to introduce this entire conversation with a repeating conversation that I've had with several, uh, several friends who are, uh, who are dads my age, who have kids, who are old enough to start watching some of the movies that we watched when we were their age. And so if you were ever a kid and watched a movie with your parents and found it to be a very strange and awkward scenario, uh, when as you get older, you find yourself in the position to share this affliction with your own children. And... And so there's some rules that we thought of, we've thought up. So first of all, there are some movies that are kind of a continuation of a series, like Star Wars is coming out in a few weeks. And that may or may not be safe. I have no idea for your kids. Depends how old they are. But the general rule of thumb that we came up with was watch it first or watch it again, right? It seems like a good idea. Uh, also, if it's PG-13, it probably was only good because you were 13. Uh, so avoid those. Uh, just in general. Uh, and then there's some movies where we have to watch with our kids specifically in mind. We have to look it through, through their framework. So if you have got maybe a four or six or seven-year-old son and you want to watch The Lord of the Rings, maybe not the whole nightmare thing. You know, things can happen. There's some scary things in there, particularly for my money, Smeagol is a very scary character. He's kind of creepy. For those of you who don't watch the movies, don't know him, it's okay. All you need to know is there's an ancient character who's shriveled up and consumed by his pursuit of a treasure that he's lost. He has this treasure that he has completely wrapped his life around. He loses it and he spends the rest, the entire trilogy, a thousand pages, looking for it, trying to get it. And in the end, it kills him. And so as we start this conversation about treasure, we start with just a little bit of a warning. There's this passage, this thing that Jesus says, a man cannot have two masters. And it can happen that our treasures can become a master in our hearts that lord over us. But we're gonna zoom back now and we're gonna say God designed our hearts to be treasure houses. He designed our hearts to be filled with the brim with treasure. 
And we're going to actually start this morning with the light board. And if you don't know, Bob is a master of this light board. And I know this because this thing is tough. It's completely, in a, it's completely unforgiving. Uh, it, you can't erase it very easily. So we're going to try here. We're going to draw a circle. There we go. Not bad. Better than the first service. You guys are lucky. So I was going to draw a heart, but I knew I would get it wrong and I knew it would look bad and, and that would make me feel bad. And, and then I thought, well, plus in the New Testament, the word that we translate for heart is so much more interesting than the word heart. It's this Greek word sploxna. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say sploxna. Isn't it just a great word? It makes you feel good to say it, right? This is the seat of your passions, and I don't mean like your, I don't mean just your emotions like I feel happy or sad. It's the seat of all of the things that you care about the most, the things that you chase after, the things that you fight for, the things that you protect. It's the seat of your emotions and your passions. In the New and the Old Testament, they thought that was your guts, not your heart. Now, that would be kind of gross to draw, so we're going to stick with a circle if that's all right. And you'll notice on your note page, if you grabbed one on the way in, there's a circle. And this circle represents your heart. Because your heart is where your treasures are. Your heart is where your treasures are. Jesus says, where your treasures are, there your heart is also. And so in our treasures out there in the world, sure, there's a piece of our heart there. But if we look at our heart, it's really a combination, a culmination of all those different treasures. And so we can write some different things down in here. And we're going to go ahead and draw some smaller circles. And each one of these circles represents a category of things that we treasure. Because our heart organizes our affections in the same way that our minds organize our thoughts. We organize our affections and we create hierarchies within them because our hearts follow our treasures and we follow our hearts. And the better we understand our treasures and the process of treasuring a thing, the more permission we can give Jesus to come in and to start to work with our hearts. We can fall into the trap of believing that we are at the whim of our hearts and our treasures because they are hard to change. Have we ever had an affection that we wish were different? Have you ever really liked something like say, espresso coffee? Maybe a little too much, right? It's fun to pick on coffee, it's easy. But we all know some of these things, they can be insidious and they can be difficult to root out, but we can. The good news of the gospel of Christ is that we can change these things with the power of Christ. And so Jesus says a man cannot serve two masters. And that passage lives in Luke chapter 16. And it's the culmination of one of the most difficult parables to understand in the entire New Testament. It's really challenging one. But it is in the ark of five parables, all of which are about treasure. And if you've spent much time in church, if you listen to more than a few sermons in your life, you've probably heard one of these parables before. You've probably heard multiple sermons on these parables. This morning, 
we're gonna look at the whole ark. We're not gonna do a deep dive. I love doing deep dives, but today we're gonna zoom out. We're gonna look at all five and we'll be done by five. <laughs> so we start, we start back in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus, Jesus is having fun. He's hanging out with people. They're celebrating. He's enjoying their presence. And there's a group of powerful religious people called the Pharisees. So the Pharisees were kind of like the in-powerful group. They were very religious. They had rules and they followed them. So good people, right? And they were, they were hanging out with Jesus. They were watching Jesus. And they were a little irritated because Jesus was hanging out with the wrong people. It would be like you and I, you and I, getting together. In, in this case, you and I are nobodies. At least I am. And, and, and just pretend that you are. And we go up to the, to, uh, the Yellowstone Club and we crash a party of some rich religious, not religious, rich, powerful celebrity or politician. You can imagine. We sneak into the party and of course we hang out in the back, right? Because we're nobodies. But then the host sees us and comes out and hangs out with us. He sits at our table and ignores all of the other powerful celebrities and politicians. He wouldn't do that, right? He wouldn't, he wouldn't snub his friends in that way. That's what Jesus was doing. He was snubbing all the powerful people and hanging out with the nobodies. And so they said, Jesus, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with nobodies? They can't do nothing for you. Why? Why are you doing it? So Jesus tells them some stories, just like Jesus is wont to do. The first story is the story of a shepherd. Shepherd who loses his sheep. You've heard this one, right? The parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd, he, he secures his 99 sheep because he's got a flock of 100 and he goes off and he gets the one and he brings them back and he throws a party. He throws a party when he finds it. So he focuses on the one sheep, he resiliently searches for it and then he celebrates it when he, found, when he finds it. And so for us, when we think about the treasures that are in our heart, most of us treasure our work. So if you have that page in front of you with all the circles, you can write down work in that first circle. God designed us to treasure our work. We should treasure our work just as the shepherd treasured his sheep. It should feed us and we should feed the world. God designed us to add value to the world around us and that's what our work is. It's not about just getting paid, though that's nice and necessary even. It's about finding value and meaning in an appropriate level of identity. And so Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and saying, let me tell you a story. There's a guy who treasures his work. This is good. And we should as well. And then we go from the sheep to the lost coin. And so we find that there is a woman whose job is to manage her home. It's a full-time job and she loses a coin. Now, it's not about the value of the coin very clearly. This coin represents something. Biblical scholars think of it as something like an engagement ring. So those of you who, who have something like an engagement ring, if you lost it, would you turn your house upside down to find it? 
Yeah, probably. It probably was very expensive. It means a lot. It's not about the money though, right? It's about the meaning. You wouldn't want to come home and have to explain why you don't have the ring on. What's that mean, honey? You can hear the question, right? And so you, she turned the house upside down until she found it. And when she found it, what did she do? She celebrated it. So she focused on the thing that she treasured. She resiliently searched for the thing. And then she celebrated when she found it. So you can write down in this next little bucket, you can think of this as the stuff that we treasure. The stuff that we treasure. And of course, when you think about it, we probably have to work in order to afford the stuff. And sometimes we value the stuff more than the work. Sometimes it's vice versa. For each one of us, it's a little different. That's how the heart works. These things and our treasures are going to begin to interact in a very dynamic way. And so Jesus continues. Now he tells a parable that is so famous in the Western culture that uh, even folks who, uh, who don't know much about Jesus have heard this story. There is a father with two sons. One son takes the inheritance while his father's still alive, which is a little rude. Hey, dad, can I have my inheritance? It's a little hurtful, don't you think? He takes it, he goes off and he goes to Europe and he spends, not Europe, far country, right? He spends all the money and want and living. But then there's a famine. He finds himself literally eating with the pigs. That's the story that Jesus tells. And he says, hmm, it's better back home. I'd rather be my father's servant. So he returns home and the father says to his returning son, stay away, I don't want you here. Does he say that? No, no, because he has a father's love for his son and he says, come home and he throws a party. He throws a party. And so we see him focus on his son. We can see him, we can imagine him looking for his son every night, waiting for that return. We can imagine the party that was being thrown. And so you can write down in this third circle, you can write down family. You could also write down friends because many of us, have friends that are like family to us. And so we treasure our friends and our family and the relationships, and we should. Each one of these buckets should be full to the brim of treasure in our lives. God designed our hearts to be a treasure house. The word for treasure in the New Testament is, in the Greek, it's thesaurus. Not the English word thesaurus, that's a book of synonyms, It's a treasure chest. It's a container that you open up and you look inside and you see all the value that we get from these things. And again, you see that there's a dynamic interaction between our work and our family and our relationships. You can also see that there can be a tension between these things. Sometimes we have to choose one over the other. Sometimes Work will create tension within the family and so on and so forth. It starts to raise questions. How do we manage? How do we manage our heart? Because our heart sometimes can get out of balance. And in the stories that Jesus tells us, we move through this arc of the, we see the shepherd, we see the, the, the homeowner, the, the homekeeper with the coin, we see the father with the son, those are all 
positive stories that are easy to pull positive examples from. We all want to be loved like the son and we all want to love like the father. We want that, right? But then Jesus introduces a darker tone in the story because that older brother, he really wasn't so happy about his brother's return. He was still a little bit bitter, a little jealous. And so he doesn't go into the party. His father's throwing a party for his brother and he says, no, I'll just stay outside and work. So the father has to go out and he says, come on in. The father challenges him. Your brother, he was dead to us and now he's alive. Come home, come to the party. What does the brother do? Jesus looks, you can see him, looking at the Pharisees and saying, what are you going to do? Are you gonna hang out with each other and only the people that can return the favor? Are you gonna hang out with these lost folks, these people who can't do anything in return? And Jesus still ushers us the same challenge because in our human hearts, it's so easy to focus on only those who can give back in return. And Jesus says, that it tells us that his heart is deeper and richer and more textured than just those people who can give back in return. And in all three of these, we see this pattern. Okay, now I'm gonna warn you now that, uh, that sometimes I struggle spelling basic words. So I'm hoping that we can get this right. We see this pattern of focus. Focus on the sheep. Focus on the coin, focus on the sun. The next one, we see this resilient search. And then finally, we see celebration. We see this pattern of how we treasure. And the genius of this, Jesus gives us the pattern on how to grow our treasures. If we treasure something, just do this and you'll start treasuring it more. Focus, resiliently search for it and celebrate it. It's important. This is how God designed us to grow our hearts. This is what God's telling the older brother. Focus on your brother. Come back, let him come home and let's celebrate and it'll get better. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, we do need to go a little bit deeper in this message because, well, he tells his story, this next parable. And this is the parable where he says, a man can only have one master, can't have two. And this is the story of a business owner. He owns a business, it's an import-export business, like wheat and olives and grapes the kind of things you'd import and export in the first century. And, and he has a business manager who's not doing well. This is going to fire him. So the business manager catches wind that he's going to be fired. And he says, quote, I am too weak to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I'll steal. Now, I don't think Jesus is suggesting to us that we do this. But what we see here is that this man then goes to all of the clients of his boss and he basically, they cook the books together. 
so that in the future, after he's fired, he can go and he can call back in the favor and take care of him. And what we see here, Jesus shows us, is we all, every one of us, we value our safety, we value our security, we value being taken care of in the future. And we worry over these things. And we see the example of a man who squanders his integrity, he squanders what is right for the sake of what is easy and safe. And Jesus gives this warning, a man can't have two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. And in this case, this trumps his integrity. So we hear that we feel this warning that our treasures can become too powerful. They can become too consuming. And then Jesus tells us this final story. And these are dark storm clouds. The, the tone here is now all grays and blacks and deep purples. Almost a nightmare, really. There's, there's a rich man who throws himself a party every day. He wears purple, like opulent, expensive clothing. And he has this celebration every single night. And at his gates is a poor man. It's named Lazarus. You've heard of the rich man and Lazarus. Here we are in this parable, rich man and Lazarus. The rich man's eating every night and Lazarus is hanging around at the gates in hopes that he can just catch some of the scraps from this rich man's table. But on no night can he because the dogs get to it first. And that's even more disturbing for a first century Jew than it is to us. And so expectedly, Lazarus dies. So does the rich man on the same night. And they both go to the afterlife. And here's where things just get dark and weird. The rich man who is celebrated in this world, he finds himself in Sheol, Hades, a place of torment. And the poor man who is apparently a nobody, a nothing, had nothing in this world to commit himself, he finds himself in heaven being comforted by the patriarchs and by God. The rich man says, whoa, hold on. What just happened here? Uh, this is not how this was supposed to go. We should, okay, so Lazarus, you need to bring me some stuff. Suddenly he knows Lazarus's name. Suddenly Lazarus is now important to him. Abraham comes over and says, no, sorry, bud. This is not how this works. Do you remember in life how you partied every night? Do you remember how Lazarus hung out at your gate and you didn't even see him? Well, it's kind of the same now. Lazarus can't hear you. He can't see you. Because you got what you, deserve, you, you, got what you wanted in that life and now you're getting what you're, you're reaping the seeds of what you sowed. God will take care of Lazarus. You took care of yourself in your life. And so we see this dark storm cloud of what can happen in our lives when our treasures take over. We can choose a future where we, we just, we're in control of our life and we're just, it's just us. Or we can choose instead to make our treasures about something other than ourselves. And I do for the sake of the stories, I, I think there's something important that we see that is positive from the rich man and Lazarus and we see the value, I believe, in recreation. Now, I didn't make the circle big enough, but 
clearly the rich man took it to a place that was unhealthy, a vast obsession. But God gave us recreation and what in moderation is an essential piece of self-love and self-care. God designed us to really recuperate and recover from our work. And so we all know that if we work too much, we can go a little crazy. So we see there's this balance and there's this proper interrelationship between all of these different things. You see, our loves begin to interact with each other. And of course, your buckets can be whatever you want them to be. They're whatever your heart's made them to be. These are just five common buckets that I see in my life and other people as we talk about these things. But what happens is our heart gets so wrapped up and entangled that sometimes we just kind of get stuck and we don't know where to go or what to do or how to move forward, how to get rid of an old love, how to adopt a new one, what happens when we feel like something's out of balance. And so I'm going to adopt a metaphor from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. As you conclude that book, he says that our heart and our, our love life is best understood as a garden. And that each love that we have sends down roots into the soil of our heart and intertwines and intertangles with all of the other loves. And that the more we feed something, the bigger it grows. If we're not careful, it can begin to overshadow our other loves. And it can start to become untangled and can start to choke other things out. And so he asked the question, where's, where's Jesus in all this? I don't, we haven't written Jesus down anywhere. Should we create another bucket and put Jesus in that bucket? That's one way to think about it. He says this, sometimes we think that we love something too much. Better though, is the question, do I love it more than Jesus? It's not whether or not I love one thing too much. It's whether or not my love for something is under the authority of Christ in my heart. And the way we do that isn't by creating a different bucket and planting Jesus in our hearts and, and just having this bucket where Jesus gets big. No, it's more that we put Jesus in every bucket. It's that we give Jesus permission to play with the buckets, to mess with the buckets, to say, hey, you know what? You're, you might have a little too much invested in work here. Or, you know what? We might, we might have lost ourselves in always raising the kids. We might need to, might need to get you a little focus on yourself. Or, you know, we might, we might need to, we need someone to guard in our heart for us. And that's Jesus' role. His role is to help us get things back into balance. And the way that he can help us do this is by focusing on the things that God treasures the most, by resiliently searching for them, by celebrating them when we see them, when we find them. A man cannot serve two masters. When we make Jesus the master over our heart, we find that what he'll do is you'll start to feed some things and you'll start to cage others. And he'll begin this dynamic sense of cultivating, pruning, rooting out, growing the things of God. 
All of these parables are about helping us adopt the heart of God. All of these parables are about valuing and treasuring the things that God values, which of course we are involved in because we are at the very heart of God. And God is calling us to be like him in that sense. And he's calling us to fight this natural tendency that we have to make our heart and our loves about filling our buckets. We call this need love. I love something because I need it. I love food because it fills my hunger, etc. In Christ, we can reverse this so that now we can move to what we call agape love where we give instead of receive. Where Christ fills our hearts and we recognize and realize that Christ's love is an unending, inexhaustible resource. We don't need to store anything up at all. We are best a conduit of love. Giving as much as we receive and as we do so, our heart grows and our heart grows healthy, and our heart grows robust. We begin ourselves able to forgive grievances, healing wounds, welcoming home those who have walked away. We find that we begin to have the heart of God. And so as we go and close, I like to think about Advent and Christmas. And I think about this sheet that, that Bob gave us, and I just... I love this as just a simple example of focusing on a thing and creating space in our hearts for something new. It's as simple as saying, hey, is there a thing on here that, that I could focus on this next six weeks? Is there a way that I could give that could be one thing that I've focused on in a durable way? I'm resilient. And we celebrate it when there's movement. The more time, the more resources, the more we feed it, the bigger it'll grow in our hearts. It's a great resource for us. And I'd like to close with this passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He says this. He says, when I think about all that God has done for us, when I think about all that Christ has done, I fall to my knees in prayer to God, the creator of everything on heaven and on earth. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources that he empower you with inner strength through his spirit so that Christ may make his home in your heart as you trust him and that your roots can grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all people should just how deep and wide and rich and high and low is his love for us. And so we may we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand, that we may be made complete and full in the power of Christ. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we are just absolutely amazed at your love. We're amazed in the wonder that in our darkest night, you are born. 
that though we have sometimes made a mess and entangled web of different things that we treasure, that you can still come in and you can reorder things, that we can bring our loves into proper order with your loves. And you invite us into this amazing life of being a conduit of love rather than just a storehouse. So Lord, my prayer is that you would give us something to focus on this Christmas. A a thing, something to be passionate about that is from you, something that's close to your heart that that we can adopt and that you can plant this seed and that you can water it for us and that we can experience this together as a congregation that's relentlessly pursuing you. That we might love like you, might share your radical love with those around us. And so, Lord, if there's any this morning here who have yet to experience being loved by you, Lord, I pray that you would make that move in their spirit today and that you would give us that gift of sharing your heart with all those who are around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.